again. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Roycast, the internet's only succession podcast. My name is Brendan. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Kate. Hey, guys. And live in studio, it's Gabby. Hey, everyone. Gabby and I are recording from the same undisclosed location in New York this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if our listeners know that... Um... We, as the Roycast, record on in three different time zones, so um, we are not together when we record. This is the first experience we have of any of us being together. Hopefully we'll get the whole gang together at some point, but... Someday. Someday. At the Succession Podcasters Convention. As soon as somebody else starts a Succession <laughs> Podcast, which will happen one of these days. Yeah. It hasn't yet, but we're waiting. Um, and we're joined this week by another member of the Roycast family, our producer, Dan Black. Hello, Dan. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'll just dive right into my spiel then. Yeah, so I, I produce this uh, show, and I also produce another show about an HBO uh, property, uh, Ballers, starring <laughs> Dwayne, Dwayne Rock Johnson, Rob Cordy. Uh, and I'm really glad to be here to talk about Succession just because, you know, uh, one of them is the worst show on HBO, and then the other is the best show on HBO. So uh, a lot of compare and contrast <laughs> we can do with uh, these two these two television programs. Ballers is the best, right, Brenton? Yeah. So my only experience with Ballers was that I watched two full seasons of it in like uh, one day when I was laid up on painkillers uh, last summer <laughs> after I had surgery. And uh, basically was just like drifting in and out of consciousness. And then as soon as bas- as soon as I weaned myself off the painkillers, I just like had a, just a, an absolute full body sense of revulsion at what was on screen and turned it to something else. Yeah, that's the ideal way to watch that is uh, knocked out, completely unconscious. Yeah. Uh, it's probably much the only way you can enjoy the show. Yeah, it's just fucking barred out watching ballers. Um, it was, it was, it was kind of hard to wrap my mind around the serious, uh, kind of moral quandary that The Rock found himself in when I would just like... He was like you. He was popping pills as well. Uh, yeah, the show, Ballers is ending the season. It's his final season. Uh, so... They've said very all glad... they had to say, really. Oh, I mean, they said that long ago, long, long ago. They, uh, I'm glad that it's ending uh, so we can finally... We've been podcasting about Ballers for the past three seasons. The podcast, Haters in the Building, it's terrible. Do not go look it up. Do not listen to it. The, the only reason it is still going is because uh, we have to see the show to the end. We have to see what The Rock is uh, going to do next. Um, and unfortunately, since it got canceled after the premiere or like right before the premiere i don't think we're gonna get a good uh wrap up i don't think there's gonna be any sort of conclusion uh i think we're heading down uh straight to hell so (laughs) they're not gonna wrap everything up neatly all the dangling ballers plot threads are not gonna be resolved well it's insane because there's no plot lines to resolve really so it's kind of uh it's kind of hard to see what they're gonna do with it not much really going on there so in the second season the rock was on like a downward spiral because he was abusing pills, and he had to go check himself into rehab, I think, at the end of the season. Does yes, anything else correct. bad ever happen to them, or do they just increasingly keep winning? No, so I think most people are kind of aware of this, but The Rock has a contract stipulation where um, he can't really... Want, like For the Fast and Furious movies, he can't lose fights. 
Um, he's supposed to be. He tries to see himself as a role model, and that I think is led to Ballers these past two seasons really, really hurt the show because The Rock can. They don't never show The Rock in a negative light. The Rock must always be seen as a baller. You know, uh, he must. Uh, there's no. He can't do wrong, uh, which really hurts the show. Also, apparently this season they shot all of the rock scenes in less than a week. Uh, and you can really tell. He, you can really tell. That's crazy. He's never in the room. He's never in the room with another person. Never he's, in the room with another person. He's just like character. on a Skype call, um, like from Barbados Always on his phone. or something. Always on his phone. Always on his telephone, which is insane. It's really, I mean, I cannot recommend staying away from ballers enough. Like, it, it is going to die a quiet death, and it is what it deserves. I'm just, I'm just imagining this as like an extension of the old Roger Corman school of filmmaking where he taught his directors to always shoot a bunch of B-roll of their star in a telephone booth on the phone with the receiver covering <laughs> his mouth so that you could dub in whatever plot exposition you needed to paper over the script later. I mean, that's 90, not two episodes ago we counted there was over 10 phone calls in the episode. <laughs> ten scenes, ten, ten separate instances, ten separate instances where the two characters were only speaking over the phone, and this, I mean, and it, they go back to back. There's no sort of pacing in the show. I mean, I could talk for hours about how horrible, just, just one of the worst shows on TV, one of the worst shows ever produced. Um, I'm glad to see it go. Uh, but on the other hand, I am genuinely more interested to see what this final season of Ballers is going to end up doing than I ever was for the last season of Game of Thrones. You know, that that was kind of telegraphed, and I felt like that was kind of just like a, we were going through the motions. Here, anything could happen. They uh, shot one of the characters, the first death on Ballers since the first episode. Uh <laughs> He got shot in a strip club, which was also the, I hate to say it, but this is the first time the show has also gone, uh, pro, trying to go progressive in the first few seasons. It was all lots of, uh, breasts, lots of drugs. Um, and now it's really tried to pull back on that. And there's, I don't know if you've noticed, but on HBO, they're doing a big uh, push for women directors, women in the filmmaking community, which is uh -huh. good, but unfortunately they're stuck directing episodes of ballers. Um, <laughs> The SJWs so, ruined ballers. They go from uh, <laughs> what? Big Little Lies to ballers. <laughs> they probably have more creative freedom on ballers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, if you check the ballers subreddit, you will see a lot of uh, people claiming the SJWs ruined ballers. But I, I will push back against that narrative. Um, I'm just going to say uh, it was never good in the first place. Uh, and that's that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really wondering how much ballers we can talk before we lose our entire audience. We'll probably move on at some point. Uh, but Dan, don't cut any of this. All the ballers talk. <laughs> oh sure, it's staying in. It's good to know what's going on in the HBO verse. Ten phone um, calls, Jesus. <laughs> well, it's uh, <laughs> I don't know how to gracefully pivot out of uh, the world of ballers and into Succession. Um, but uh, it's good that we have our whole Roycast family here with us because this is a family episode. It's a very special episode <laughs> of Succession where we have a bit of a family reunion. And this episode is episode 7 of season 2. It is titled simply Return. And this episode occasions the 
return of fan favorite character uh, Lady Caroline, uh, played by the great Harriet Walters, the mother of Ken, Shiv, and Roman. And the characters have to go back to uh, her home in England to persuade her to vote with Logan because she has 3% of the voting stock in the company. Um, just kind of like broad strokes. How did everybody feel about this episode? I really loved it. I mean, I, it was such a different episode from Argestes, uh, the last episode, but it reminded me a lot, um, as, as well it did you all, I know we talked, but of Austerlitz and a, you know, a return to that kind of family therapy, return to the childhood, return to the UK, you know, and I will say for me, it was, it was triggering similar to Austerlitz as well in terms of just like so many on point, uh, family dynamics that I could really have similar, you know, resonate with. And so I, I, I loved it. I thought it, it stretched out a long ways, but it didn't feel too long. Yeah, I think the pacing this season has been really, really on point. We get the ending of last week is like so, so balls to the wall like heavy and like intense with Logan freaking out and I thought I really liked starting at like his house uh this episode with everybody coming in a little more calm setup before we really uh dive right back into right back into the gunfire like the episode structure has been really lost in television I know you guys have talked about this but I think what Succession season two has done so well is like really know it's a tv show and, and really hammer down the episode formats um so it feels like a complete story every week you're not really there's always plot to come but you're always really wrapping everything up in a, a nice nice bow every episode yeah i thought it was a nice change of pace um i've enjoyed the like very glitzy sets and um high-paced nature of some of the episodes this season most of the episodes this season but I did think this was a nice return, so to speak, uh, to some of, you know, a little bit more of the slower pace, slower burn family dynamics that uh, we saw established in the first season. Um, So even if it felt a little bit slower and maybe there wasn't an explosive moment like there has been in other episodes, um, for me, I think it was a good episode to sort of meditate on some of these like underlying familial forces that have shaped the Roys and continue to influence their behavior. Yeah, I feel like this week we, like, return to... uh, There it is again. We come back to a lot of plots that were in previous episodes. Like, we have one of my favorite scenes with Roman and uh, Logan in the car on the way to the airport. Going back to the slap on NBC. I, I really like that interaction, and I, I like that we come back to a lot of uh, stuff that has kind of been left behind. The mother, who's amazing this episode. And then, uh, of course, the big accident. Yes, of course, yeah. That's right. Yeah, the return is, in some senses, a return to um, their old home, to you know their, their family, but it's also a return to the scene of the crime, right? And I, I kind of struggled with this episode, even on a rewatch, um, you know, I can, I was talking, I was banging this around with Gabby before we started recording and, you know, I can, what Dan kind of mentioned about the episodic structure that Succession is usually so good at felt a little bit lost to me here where the characters are not really, 
um, together so much in this episode, even though they do end up traveling overseas together. They are kind of split up. Ken and Logan are off doing one thing. Shiv and Roman are off doing another. Tom and Greg are in another corner. Um, and it's not necessarily also connected. And the ostensible plot matter is dealt with kind of offhandedly in one conversation with Caroline where she says, well, I'll take, I'll take option A or option B. They decide on option B, and that's pretty much dealt with. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's sort of an opportunity to bring up, uh, like we said, to return to a lot of this fr- emotionally fraught territory from season one, and it provides, I think, a nice complement to Austerlitz, which is all about sort of, you know, confrontation and aborted confrontation uh, in terms of Logan's influence on the family, and this one is all about kind of irresolution and things that aren't talked about because that's very much Caroline's influence on the family, is that withholding nature and the not wanting to discuss things. Uh, but I just felt that I couldn't quite grasp what the overall shape of the episode was, even though there's a lot of nice scenes in it. Yeah, I agree. It, it doesn't have the sort of uh, punchy nature of really anything before. This very much feels like a standard uh, late season, like... Everybody catch your breath, because the next couple episodes are going to be out of control. Yeah, yeah. Tie up a couple loose ends, get everybody in position. Yeah, very much a breather after the uh, plot mechanics have swung wildly in one direction and then the other, in Turnhaven and then in Argestes. Um, definitely some, some table setting happening. And also the big... Um, the other big piece of this episode that the episode kind of ends on is what's happening with Rhea... And how she increasingly is this character who began as someone of kind of secondary importance and now seems to be the sort of big bad of the season or the primary antagonist that the kids are going to have to to face in order to uh, get some kind of harmony to the company and their family. And possibly yeah, Marsha. Yeah, and that showdown is going to be uh, interesting as well. I'm, I'm actually really excited to see that. Marsha's going to unleash the spies. Yeah. (laughs) But I thought we could kind of circle towards um, some of those plot lines and start um, with some characters who stay behind in the U.S. and start with Tom and Greg and the ongoing Cruz's scandal and the Death Pit storyline, which is another plot line that's very much left up in the air in this episode where some forward action occurs, but we don't know quite what's going to become of it yet. It's very much ongoing, and we feel that it's going to... Uh, play an active role in whatever uh, constitutes the end game for the season. So the, the company has retained what Tom thinks is a softball kind of law firm to investigate the Cruises scandal. He meets with a couple of executives in the offices. Their names are Kenneth Chen and Stefan Strauss. Stefan Strauss being a reference to Peep Show. Stefan Strauss was the, uh, I think, the, uh, the owner of the company where, uh, where Mark worked and uh, who ended up closing it down. So not a good sign. Not a good sign that Stefan Strauss is involved. And also a good opportunity here to mention that the episode is directed by Becky Martin, who directed about, well, I think I think over 30 episodes of Peep Show. So someone that Jesse Armstrong oh, has did not collaborated yeah, she, with a lot. She also did Veep um, quite a bunch and a single episode of In the Loop in the or first season. Or, yeah, thank you, the thick of it in the first I get season. those two mixed up all the time. <laughs> Yeah. So very. Yeah. So uh, so clearly, there's a um, 
that that theme of return is happening behind the camera too, where Armstrong is returning to an old collaborator uh, for this episode. Uh, but that scene is, is interesting to me, where he meets with these two guys, and it seems like a friendly meeting, uh, and Tom's very much at ease, you know, more at ease than he should be, almost definitely, because he feels pretty good about how things are going until he's asked literally one question about document retrieval <laughs> and then thinks oh no <laughs> i have to excuse myself so i don't i, I thought that this was I, I couldn't i couldn't quite figure out how to read this because i thought this was kind of comically naive of tom to a point that strained credulity yeah. like even if he expects it to be softball it's like what do you does he literally think he's going to go in there have some conversation about golf and then leave like they're going to ask some questions and the question of like you know where are the relevant documents is something that you would have anticipated would come up especially because you have the foresight to destroy said documents um but he he's quite panicked by this and leaves the room against their protests or why wouldn't he consult a lawyer i mean that was my thinking <laughs> Uh, well, they're his lawyers, right? He's right. thinking they're working for the company, right? So they're, they're working for me, right? But these are my lawyers. Yeah, I thought it was crazy how uh, quick he crumbled under pressure. Uh, <laughs> d- yeah, two, two, two questions in, and he's already uh, like hyperventilating and needing to leave yeah. the room. Yeah. Just, I wasn't like, expecting that, Relax yeah. a little bit. Yeah, at least get a couple. I mean, and then he just abandons it completely. He never comes back. And, I, you know, le- leaves those guys just waiting in there as he goes up to Shiv to be like, Oh Shiv, uh, uh, please, uh, you gotta help me. And she's obviously uninterested, consumed with her own thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you really feel for Tom there in that conversation because Shiv is preoccupied with uh, what's happening concurrently. That Logan and Roman and Ken have all gone overseas on an important mission, and she's been left behind again. And she's so preoccupied, she doesn't like realize what's going on with Tom until he practically grabs her by the shoulders and says, "Hey, I'm really freaking out here." Um, she looks him in the eyes and seems very taken aback um, when he says, "You know, is, is are you sure that I'm not going to get iced out and fucked here? Like, are you are you sure that that's not going <laughs> to happen?" And she clearly lies. And she goes, oh, uh, "Yeah, liar. I think so, probably." And then like immediately dismisses it yeah. again. Um, so the, you know, the look on his face is really pained. Yeah. So as much of a dirtbag as Tom is here, if you think about the implications of what he's doing and what he's what he's asking for. Um, you know, the way that he just continues to get literally no support from his wife at all is really painful. And then he turns to his actual wife. <laughs> his, his, his work wife. That's right. Do you, th- do you think Tom is one of those guys before he got married who had like a work wife at the office? Probably. Yes, he strikes absolutely. me as one of those guys. Yeah, but Tom is very smitten with Greg. <laughs> <laughs> like their their relationship is um well he didn't get invited to greg's meeting of the cool like 30 under 30s at his right apartment. oh my god <laughs> yes that, uh, amazing detail there greg hosting that which is just like so perfect and kind of a a, a great uh jab at what those kind of th- kinds of things usually are well, <laughs> yeah exactly. with greg leading it what yeah, the hell is welcome like the to next the generation. next wave they're, yeah, they're the next wave. It's like, whose fucking cousins are you guys? In just a talking shop for renewal. What the fuck are they talking about? They're just jerking each other off. Yeah. Greg's got the nicest apartment of all of them, I'm sure. So that's why he's hosting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, for sure. So, yeah. But, I mean, basically the plot matter here is pretty is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, Tom goes straight to Greg because he knows that he's still got some documents. 
He says, I'm going to stay overnight here because I can't trust While you. While pulling his tie. While pulling his tie. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to follow you to the office. We're going to get the documents, and then we're going to dispose of them off-site. Um, so he does this, and they go in the office and finds that Greg has literally just been keeping them in the building in a folder labeled secret, in an envelope labeled receipts. <laughs> and there's that great dialogue where Tom goes, ooh, but they're not in fact receipts, are they, Greg? <laughs> yeah, that was just like, that's just a classic straight-up comedy scene, which is really great. I also love the scene between them at uh, Greg's house where he tells him he's going to break his legs. Uh, <laughs> that, that stuff. And just Greg's Mario reaction to so it where much. he laughs. It, yeah. It, Tom, Tom has a real, like, smoldering intensity about him in there where, I mean, if I was Greg, I'd give it up, too. I, I wish we could have seen Tom interacting with the other people at that uh, get-together. I know. know. I hope that's a deleted scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine or Tom... Tom and Greg going to sleep. Just that. Just Brushing their, their teeth together. Nice. They're going to sleep yeah, on a giant yeah. bed. Like, like, Them talking yeah. all night long. Yeah, they're sleeping in a giant race car bed. Yeah. Wearing Hello, identical yeah. footy pajamas. I can ima- yeah, I can imagine. Greg's saying we have to sleep head to toe so it's not gay. No homo. Yeah. Oh um, anyway. Anyway, they do end up burning uh, the documents. Um, although in before that, prior to that scene, we see we we see Greg undergoing oh. a very thorough kind of testing of his uh, his phone's <laughs> microphone because he's he uh, we see him just like pacing back and forth and talking to himself like a psycho. But what we realize he's doing is he's. Uh, trying to realize what's the optimal placement of the phone on his person if he needs to discreetly record Tom because he doesn't want to lose his blackmail because he senses quite rightly that things are heating up and he still needs to have some kind of blackmail material so if he's losing the documents he should have a recording and then when they actually get to the point of burning the documents on uh, Tom's patio uh, he's, <laughs> Greg is trying to, Greg is trying to bait Tom into saying something like, no one will ever know <laughs> that you told me <laughs> to destroy the sensitive materials. And Tom's just looking at him just like, what are you talking about? Hold do my think, beer. Tom, do you think, that, oh yeah, hold my beer is such a good line. Do you think that uh, Tom knows he's being recorded? No, but no. I think, no, but Tom, as we've seen before, is savvy enough not to ever say anything. Right. Uh, explicitly to Greg about it because every time Greg will be like remember when we did that thing Tom will just be like no <laughs> so he's yeah. a, so out of an abundance of lawyerly caution I guess Tom is smart enough not to know to say those things out loud um, but Tom but Greg does manage to stuff a, a few papers down his pants uh, when Tom turns his back so uh, Greg does manage to secure his uh, his blackmail materials. I don't know what's on those documents though. At this point, it's like right. three random right. papers. What like what could it be? Um, I also so. wonder. I also guess. Go ahead. If he um, I also wonder if he what he told the firm, like what he told the, you know, the lawyers that they they. Sh- yeah, we don't see Greg's interrogation. Right. Yeah, he yeah. refers to it. So. They refer to it in the apartment, so I'm curious as to what he did yeah, or did not say. It's like the end of Wolf of Wall Street, where they're all just ratting on each other. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, I guess, I just don't understand why Tom didn't just lie to the lawyers instead of freaking out. And, uh, I mean, I guess for plot reasons to force him to go take care of the documents, but... I. 
I just don't understand why he wasn't just like, no, he didn't destroy any documents. Yeah, I'm with you there, Dan. It surprised me a little bit. Well, I, th- I think he, I think he at least wants to stall a bit so that he can, he, for whatever reason, however plausible you find it, he hasn't gotten that stuff from Greg. So as soon as he realizes that they are going to be searching for documents, he doesn't want them to talk to Greg first and get that stuff. He wants to, he wants to stall and preempt that. Sure, sure. So, uh, but yeah, I do like that Greg is becoming a bit more comfortable in his his life as a as a as a, as a young hotshot executive. Um, you know, he's got a good haircut, nice new haircut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we love to see it. <laughs> yeah, one thing I thought about just in that shot of you know those uh, those kids waving hi to Tom is that like Tom would never have been invited to one of those get-togethers when he was coming up. Um, oh. No, he started dating Shiv. <laughs> he's the he's the corn-fed basic. That's right, um, agriculture walk. I loved that bathroom scene. Not to harp on that, another fantastic bathroom scene uh in succession which they managed to pull off nearly every episode now but um and i two of them this episode oh what was the what was the other the dick pic in the beginning ah that's right (laughs) and there were two bathroom there were two bathroom scenes in uh our justies as well yeah i wonder how much improv he he was doing though greg greg i thought this was a really terrific episode for um uh, Nicholas Braun's, you know, showcasing his terrific uh, performance. I like that that scene had uh, lo-fi, chill hip-hop beats to relax slash study to <laughs> on it. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever been watching the show and been like, oh, the score is a little strange here. Yeah. Usually it's so it's so perfect. Uh, it didn't bother me. I just thought it was a funny choice. They've, they've used that selection a few times before. They brought uh, back the, the death pit music um in this episode the do, 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 that was in the first season i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't remember I don't know either. You're talking like about. remember when in thanksgiving episode when greg is going upstairs oh yeah oh okay yeah, oh! Remember, yeah, they, yeah they did use it they did use it then. sorry yeah, i'm yeah. not i'm not a musician it's my best approximation <laughs> Nicholas Patel, if you're listening to this, we're sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because those scenes did remind me of one another, and I didn't even make the musical connection, but, like, the bathroom scene and the Greg's chopping it up, Greg's chopping it up, you know, kind of like... <laughs> talk Greg talking to himself. <laughs> yeah, Greg curiously. talking to himself, doing, you know, rape of the mail. <laughs> yeah, pretty boy, you think you'd like that? <laughs> super weird. <laughs> I hope some of that was improvised. Was, I, <laughs> had to Greg thinking he's going to like actual prison. Prison is also funny. It's like Greg, you're you're part of the family. You're rich. Don't worry about it. I was yeah. I was reminded of one of my favorite lines from Sad Sack Wasp Trap, where he was like, "This feels like a Watergate situation." And I never studied that specifically, but I feel like I'm correct in saying they all got fucked. <laughs> That's it's one like, of the best scenes of yeah, the show. But yeah, but the Watergate guys also did not go to actual prison. They went to, like, golf prison. It's like, you have to live in this country clubhouse. Too bad. Um, yeah, it's like George Blue Sr. and his <laughs> softball team. <laughs> A little bit better than George Blue Sr. even, I think. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we don't want to spend too much time uh, on that subplot. Um, although I, I do think we'll return to the that interaction between Shiv and Tom, because I think it... Um, speaks volumes about uh, some of the other things we we see with the family interactions, but 
uh, at the beginning of the episode, um, well, at the very beginning, Ken is uh, being uh, 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 coerced to take a dick pic by Naomi Pierce, who's uh, he is who he's uh, video chatting with, and obviously that relationship has continued, and she'll surface later in the episode. But everybody is at Logan's for a party that appears to be for I think the shareholders, because the the big shareholders meeting where Stewie and Sandy can win a victory is is coming up, and. Logan, Jerry, Roman, and Ken all gather upstairs to watch a video that Stewie and Sandy have been circulating among the shareholders, this kind of animated video they've been distributing to everybody, saying, you know, like, hey, here's our case for why you should vote Logan and his board out and vote us vote us in. Um, and I actually, uh, just because they've been referenced, they've referenced this book so much in interviews, Jesse Armstrong and his writers have, um, I, I finished reading the book Disney War about the Michael Eisner era at Disney, and this was actually quite similar to a tactic that Roy E. Disney um, used when he was uh, uh, undertaking the Save Disney campaign to oust Eisner and his board. Um, it was, I think, uh, I think, kind of one of the first times that somebody had used the, the web for a sort of a shareholder or hostile takeover in this way. Uh, but there's echoes of sort of real-life similar situations here. Um, but that's where they talk about how Caroline has 3% voting stock, and it seems that uh, her vote is no longer secure, so they're going to have to go to the UK to, to figure that out. I love that video that they made uh, with the hot dog bun getting just, just the mustard on it. Uh, ketchup, <laughs> I don't remember. Uh and we get we get the nice title drop. They say succession planning in there, and we get a little Roman yeah. uh, looking at Logan with his little puppy dog eyes. Yeah. Uh, I, I I like that scene, and I, I really like when they're they decide to go to Britain to talk to the mom. Uh, that Logan is just like no Shiv, no Shiv's not coming. <laughs> yeah, no. Second and episode in a row. Shiv has the, to chase down her family. Yeah, and we get the button right before the credits. Your nips must be hard because you're out in the cold. But yeah, <laughs> hit, hit, hits pretty hard. Hits pretty hard. Yeah. And, and right on time with the Ivanka photo. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> um, somebody's gonna need to send that to me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All, right. All right. This is a family podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, Shiv's totally abandoned by like both her mother and her father. She can't get any support from either of them through yeah. throughout this episode. I mean, we yeah, see how, how dare Tom come to her? She's busy. <laughs> She's got her own problems. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I guess that makes it even funnier because she really isn't doing anything. We haven't seen her do any sort of work. She's unemployed. <laughs> She's just running around, just like having a freak out twenty four hours a day. She's she's uh, she's practicing the way that rich people hold their phone. She's getting really good at that. <laughs> she's practicing the two finger iPhone. Looking <laughs> up uh, quotes, you know, from looking up. Oh, she oh she's writing memos, of course. That's yeah. right. Oh, the memo. Yeah. 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 She yeah. So she so they're also talking about in that scene that she's written this memo. Um, about uh, what exactly is like made her vision for the company? I I guess ostensibly in response to the cruises scandal, how they can bounce back, how they can pivot, etc. Well, she also says in the elevator with Tom that it's um a response to Dinosaur Gate, so she mm -hmm. kind of wants to smooth over um yeah. any sort of you know 
family rifts that might have emerged to the public from that. Yeah, classic PR strategy when you make a minor gaffe is to explain yourself with 70 pages. <laughs> uh, that's, all, that's, 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 that's a classically good strategy is to just say a ton more things that people can misinterpret. And um, as a political right. person, I love that she like says, this isn't me moving to the center. Yeah. <laughs> Which clearly she's yeah. quite familiar also, with. The, yeah, they also reference in that conversation with Logan um, somebody somebody called the Ulsterman, yeah. um, who has four percent of voting stock, and that Logan is also Jack. going to be visiting while they're in the UK. We don't know who that is. I wonder if that's somebody we'll meet later. Obviously, if it's they have more stock than Caroline, they would be somebody who has you know of some import. Um, so I wonder if that'll be someone we're introduced to later. He's yeah, an it might old be friend. because Logan does mention that he's going to bring. Raya to um, see the Ulsterman in, in this super British sounding town like Chattanooga or whatever um, which is like some bougie place in the British Isles with like horse jumping exhibitions and whatnot. so it's possible and when they say Ulsterman do they literally just mean somebody from Ulster? that's what I assume but <laughs> yeah I, I had to google that but the guy's name is Jack and he's an old friend um, and so, yeah, they did go. I assume they did go talk to him, not to skip too much ahead. And I wonder what happened there in Chethlehem. Well, I think Car- I think Caroline said she would put in a word. Yep. Right. I think it's, well. I mean, obviously on the plane at the end, it's assumed that everything's been smoothed right. over. Um, okay. So that's, so that's 7% of voting stock they've got, which along with the family's 36% puts them at 43. So they're feeling pretty secure. Although there's still potential for things to go wrong, um, but um, on the on the way to the plane, uh, there's that interesting scene with Logan and Roman where they appear to be alone together for the first time since Argestes and uh, NBC's The Slap, and Logan takes this as an opportunity to broach the subject, which Roman is just completely incapable of acknowledging or like looking at his dad during it. You really get a sense of the fear that he has for Logan in that scene but logan also does what he can to deflect and minimize minimize it saying you know did i did i even make contact you know yeah logan doesn't give him the opportunity to to address it at all he he, he has no choice but to look out the window and kind of like dissociate yeah it's 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 weird because you get a sense that logan does feel guilty that's the only reason really to bring it up is is to uh is to suppress his own guilt um but yeah, there's there's no conversation to have there, obviously. Yeah, there's a point when Roman's like, "Are we even talking about the same thing?" Yeah. <laughs> I think he says, "I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't recall the event you're talking about." Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, yeah. But other than that, yeah, this mirrors a later scene where it's now Kendall and uh, Logan gets uh, alone time with each of the kids this episode. The Roman first, and then there's a the car ride with uh, Kendall later. I felt like was like sort of the same thing of uh, Logan, really just you know doing what he does, making sure he everybody knows who's boss. Yeah, but while also trying to affect some sort of like semblance of you know emotion, but he clearly cannot like. The, the the visit to the to the family's house, which we'll get into, was clearly triggering for Logan. I think on a few levels, um, but it also was something that I think he 
really resented that he had to do. And that led to that sort of um, kind of atrocious um, discussion in the car about, you know, how they're good, good people, good folks and um, sort of his dismissal of the family. And and yeah, just um, to make it make him feel better about it, make him feel like he's the good guy in the situation. The same thing with the Roman thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but Logan, but Logan seems to be on a bit of an upswing overall. His ener- sure. his energy seems good after he was very uh, he seemed very much out of it in Argestes. Um, but Roman and Ken uh, do a lot of commenting on how uh, Logan has a lot more energy and seems uh, a bit maybe a bit happier than he's been in a while. Uh, Roman said he hasn't seen him like this since Sally Ann in the Summer of the Horses <laughs> uh, when he's when they're when they're watching him and Rhea on the plane. Um, yeah, they're all cracking jokes at Shiv's memo um we can kind of see here the beginnings of Rhea um and her actual true feelings about Shiv which come out later um but yeah they're all sort of giggling and there seems to be some sort of chemistry between Logan and Rhea beyond um you know whatever work um and business related transactions they they have going and um yeah so again in this episode, we see Roman and, and Ken to some extent and his continued sort of strange investment in his dad's sexual life and who he's attracted to. <laughs> yes. we talk, we've talked yes, about this. exactly. Yeah, I mean, it came up in Prague when they first saw Tabs. <laughs> yes. um, it happened when he talks about having sex with Marsha in the conversation in, um, yeah. in which I on with... Yeah. Uh, Lawrence, when Lawrence calls him Oedipus. There's another Oedipus joke in this episode, too, <laughs> oh, yeah. at the end. They yeah. talk at about him end. having killed his mom. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So good. Um, and then, yeah, Logan and Rhea, it's vague, but they potentially have spent the night together. And the two boys, yeah. the following morning, um, in, in their London home, seem kind of like childlike excitement we, amazing scene <laughs> when it we comes really to excited yeah. about the possibility of walking in on logan fucking yeah kendall walking up to the door and pausing before knocking and like doing like a, a stutter step is yeah. so or uh yeah so funny so funny but roman on the like stairs hanging like on the banister him. yeah him forcing him into it yeah it, it felt like such a genuine yeah, I felt like such a genuine, uh, like, brother totally, yeah. interaction yeah. to me. Well, but again, like, also just, like, is this someplace they've been before? Is, like, is this a pattern that's repeating itself? Like, has Ro- has Logan, was Logan, like, bringing home his conquests, you know? Was, I'm sure. Have oh, they walked sure. in before? Does that explain some of their hang-ups and issues? Yeah. I mean, I, I was, absolutely. I think that's pretty, pretty, uh, implied. Yeah. I, I, I don't I know also... what Okay. Sorry, Brenda, go ahead. No, 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 you got it, you got it. Yeah, it's a little detail, but I loved um, uh, when they are, you know, talking about uh, the possibility of Roman and Kendall on the plane of um, Rhea and Logan fucking. Uh, he's like, it's like a rhino fucking a hummingbird. And in the previous episode in our justice, <laughs> Rhea said to Logan, you're an right. old rhino. I'm just a tiny little sparrow. So I thought it was funny that like Rhea yeah. and Logan and I mean, Rhea and Kendall and Roman all see Logan as a rhino. 
I was asking Brendan before, is it really realistic to think that Rhea would want to have sex with Logan? But This is like, yeah, this this <laughs> yeah. is the question for me. I don't trust myself to judge it, but it's like, it's kind of like the Tony Soprano thing where like Tony was constantly just like slaying, right? Um, but yeah. I, I don't know if we see Logan quite the same way. I think Tony had a bit more joie de vivre to him uh, than, than Logan does. Um, although yeah, I also don't think that Logan's Logan is comes off as particularly as a player. He's a man of power. He's not really like a suave guy. He just has a lot of money and power, and that's uh, attractive to some people. I even think with him and Rhea, I felt like it wasn't necessarily. We don't really know if they even hooked up. It doesn't right. really seem like a done done deal. Mm-hmm. The way she reacts when he asks if she wants to stay the night is like so. Uh, she's baffled by it, uh, kind of like we are so you know it's kind of a yeah it, it felt I'm, like I'm, sort of a trick quick transition from his sort of very rock solid relationship with Marsha to suddenly a wandering eye again um to me i feel like there may be just like something there that like i needed to transition from that into logan sort of being um a scoundrel again it just doesn't didn't quite add up but I don't know. I, it's, the past couple episodes, him and Marsha have not been getting along, really. They've been... She's That's true. Been the last scold, one they did, though. Scolding him a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I guess yeah, it, I, it does have something to do with Logan having his strength back. Um, even if they didn't have sex, the next morning, they're sort of jovial. Like, we see Logan laugh at a joke of Roman's that... Yeah. In, like, a very uproarious <laughs> way. Yeah. yeah, it's like he's got this, he's got some mojo the next right. day. Like, his hair mm-hmm. looks good. It's like he... <laughs> He took time to put himself together, and it's like this. He definitely has kind of like a vibe that something happened. I think. Although he does wake up uh, with a completely different vibe of just uh, pure confusion. Where am I? Right. There's without just, a doubt where the a fuck am I? Of, of, of Logan's <laughs> continued like health problems and side effects from his meds that we see sort of um, punctuate the episode, which I think is important. Like the show hasn't forgotten that Logan had a brain aneurysm less than a year ago. So, uh, <laughs> I just had the thought that just like maybe Rhea does stay over, but like they don't fuck. And there's like some weird ritual or whatever they go through. <laughs> I, I always think of this old David Roth tweet, uh, about how like Trump doesn't know how to have sex. And like, you know, Stormy Daniels testify that like he just put on a bathrobe and said, congratulations. That's what he thinks it is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> she just has to like take his slippers off or something for him and then she leaves. Um, Holy shit. Anyway, uh, we lost half of our listeners with ballers and the other half with that. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. This might be a good opportunity to talk about Holly Hunter's performance, uh, which has just been, uh, I was talking to, uh, to another friend about this recently and just how that the performance is just very strange because it's not like other a lot of other Holly Hunter performances I've seen where uh, Hunter has um, a lot of natural charisma and warmth to her, and she really holds back a lot of that. Like she's she plays Rhea in this way where you know she you know uses charm um, when she needs to. She can turn on a little bit, but her eyes are always extremely cold. Um, there's always like a look in her eyes that's very very calculating. And it's a very enigmatic performance, which is why the idea of um, there being something between her and Logan on a romantic or sexual level is just 
difficult to contemplate, not just for Logan, but for her, because we don't really have a sense of what her true desires or intentions are. I mean, not just for them, but for the kids, too. Nobody, nobody really knows. Like, everybody's kind of poking at it, trying to see, like, uh, is there something there? Which I think is a really interesting dynamic to have literally everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah, I like her ass- assessment of the kids on the plane um, and how that sort of comes back later on in her um, confrontation with Shiv. But what, is, what does she say about Ken? She says, uh, well, Logan's looking for, like, honest feedback about the kids' capacity to lead. And she says, Ken, it's like you've given him a big... Big diaper and he can <laughs> shit himself. Yeah. yeah. More than she knows, right? Right, exactly. and then she says right. that Roman could and, be ready, but not for a while. Yeah. And that you Shiv actually... is not as smart as she thinks she is, which is true. Yeah, and I'd love to proves. read the Shiv memo, just from the way they talk about it, and the way they, like, joke and, like, are all, like, kind of dancing around trying to make fun of it, really makes me interested in what, like, the actual text of it was. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> we get try. to know that there's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> yeah, do get a picture picture of children which is important you know the future there's a, yeah there's a picture of children and we see uh the three quotes that she has uh well first of all it's <laughs> the slide we see is uh the three bridges consumers creators and capital and then she has three quotes from amelia Earhart, thomas aquitus and walt whitman which are no borders just horizons only freedom by amelia Earhart. The greatest kindness one can render to any man consists in leading him from error to truth. Thomas Aquinas. The future is no more uncertain than the present. Walt Whitman. Just absolute dribble. Just dog shit. Uh, Imagine. uh, Absolute white noise. Just lorm Ipsum shit. It's terrible. She'd get destroyed on Twitter. Like, for shit like that. (laughs) It reminds me of the, uh, it's not even on this level. It's like, it's, it's, it's so generic, but I just like thought of like, you know, my favorite snatches of just, like, corporate gobbledygook, like the McDonald's Modern and Progressive Burger Company thing, or yeah, uh, yeah. the famous uh, PepsiCo memo where they break down the geogra- the geometric meaning of their logo um, was pretty great. Um, <laughs> I hadn't seen that. I really also want to know what's in the private polling they did on the CEOs, on potential CEOs. Logan mentions it, but doesn't share with the, what they, what the private share. polling and yeah. I, but what, what could that possibly like who would they be polling right because i imagine like you know if you if you poll most of the country it's like what's your opinion of lachlan burdock who is that i don't know <laughs> <laughs> would lachlan or james do a better job what are you talking about why are you in my house anyway so uh yeah so to stay with uh what's going on at uh at logan's uh london home um london i don't know where they are but um uh uh, uh, they are visited uh, also by Naomi, who's uh, stayed over with uh, with Ken, and uh, she was uh, so captivated by the dick pic that she left Venice to immediately fly to London and spend must, the must night be with good. Ken. <laughs> Ken figured out the angle. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, and so this triggers sort of a um, a um, response in Logan as he sees that. Um, the two of them seem pretty smitten. The relationship has obviously progressed um, beyond what we've seen since Turnhaven. And um, I think for Logan that that's really threatening to see Ken 
possibly coming to life again. Um, and something clearly gets activated where um, he has to pull him away from that because yeah. if you know Ken starts to experience actual joy, the prospect of being free, which he you know gave that entire speech to Naomi, and obviously Logan doesn't know about that, but maybe there's something about Naomi that's sort of threatening. Yeah, that that she is sort of a black sheep in her family. Um, we know that you know she's got drug troubles herself, um, and. Logan wants to sort of keep tabs of Ken's drug use and, um, you know, if he gets to have too much fun and too much happiness with Naomi, um, then he, you know, leaves the nest. So he immediately ruins a day of where they were going to have a, you know, lovely time at the zoo, um, what was going to be (laughs) probably a joyful day for Ken. Um, they seem to, to really be into each other and, and, um, it's in that moment where, Logan um, decides that Ken needs to join him on a trip to the family of the waiter from season one because um, that's also something that Stewie's tabloids are starting to exploit. Um, I'm not sorry, not Stewie. Sandy's tabloids are starting to exploit, um, saying that um, that it was somehow Logan's fault because of the slap um, that happened at the wedding. Slap. Not a slap. Yeah. He, uh, he was. He was. He was the, the 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 headline that we see is like bullied to bullied death. Right. To death. Right. Right. As Kendall puts it, um, you shouted and you jostled his drink. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I shouted him into the river. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. So yeah, like in the worst possible way, he pulls him away from Naomi and says, you have to come. Mm. And then doubles Mm. down on it by not letting him stay in the car and makes him come into the home. Um, Because the family apparently just wants a face-to-face apology from Logan. Yeah. Uh, Before we go over to that, I wanted to say... uh, as, as briefly as I can, uh, I don't know what they did with Annabelle Dexter Jones, who played Naomi, but they really nailed the cocaine look. Um, they, For sure. uh, oh yeah, the the vibe in that scene was uh, was strong. Yeah. Um, so the, I, I do get that there's a pragmatic reason as well as obviously a spiteful one that Logan would want to keep them apart. Um, yeah, I, right as she walks in the room for that conversation i was like oh logan's gonna be pissed but he like plays it off very like very politely yeah until she's out of the room and then it's like nah you're not hanging out with her yeah Yeah. calls kendall cuntstruck she's a a bad kid yeah and kendall also like challenge it tries to call logan out or question you know is is you know being with raya a good idea type thing and i don't think as we know, Logan doesn't like to be challenged as well. Yeah, and then he says, you're the one that's cuntstruck, I think, is the, something. Yeah. But, yeah, so so Logan uh, has to make sure he shuts uh, this new Kendall, happy, maybe, Kendall down. Right. As Gabby put it. It's too much of a risk, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I yeah, I thought that drive to the home was pretty poignant um they sort of quickly gloss over um the site of the accident and there's like a teddy bear and some cards something people do where there's accidents um and you can see ken uh notice it and you know definitely 
activate something in him and and you know the dread and and guilt are starting to sort of bubble to the surface a bit yeah it's a really painful scene in the house where um i think uh jesse armstrong talks uh, he's spoken the kind of like after the show clip about how you know jeremy strong is able to just kind of like walk into that situation and, and feel it and um you know there's this obvious counterpoint you know to the roys and this like home where there's all these pictures of you know like happy kid happy family there's like a sense of a life here you know it's not like a sterile environment uh, that feels like a model home like all their you know their penthouses and mansions do right and yet logan scoffs at it right it's like look at this place yeah again the the, the hillary clinton picture right? <laughs> um. but also i think for logan it might trigger something about his upbringing i think it's hard yes. for people like that to return to places that remind them of where they suffered and and where they were poor i i I had i had an ex-boyfriend from the uk who mentioned to me once about donald trump visiting his um mother's home in scotland and that he was supposed to it was before he was president that he was supposed to like spend some time there but he just like immediately bounced and everybody in the town was like kind of um shocked by how he couldn't tolerate being back in his hometown or his mother's hometown which was you know from a a very working class background yeah yeah i mean there's this go ahead kate i was just gonna say i do think that they go to dundee later in the season as well which is his hometown specifically right. but for sure this definitely calls back to um logan's you know upbringing and i'm sure really hard to deal with um but yeah the scene's really intense and you know jeremy strong the inventor of acting is is terrific in it as he is in the conversation when he's first told that he needs to go whatever he's great um but yeah, I, I really love the touch where, you know, he drinks the water and um, he washes the glass and dries it, um, you know, just his immense guilt and, and stuff. And it reminded me of the in the pi- in celebration, the pilot, where he cleans up the mess in the bathroom. Um, yeah. You know, and he's just, sort of looking at the family f- photos forlornly. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then. I thought it also was really interesting, and this may be a little too cute or whatever, but I do think the show's really intentional. But when Logan, when, you know, um, Kendall asks Logan if he should, um, you know, say something to the family, which he desperately wants to do to be able to assuage some of this guilt, and Logan says no, um, you know, further. He says no very, very coldly. Oh, totally. And just, like, walks out where you can see on, on Ken's face that there's like a gazillion emotions just oh. bursting at his consciousness. Um, and he's dying to do something about this, and um, you know there is nothing yeah. that he continues to be able to do. Well, the shot of Kendall, there's like this fork and spoon that's hanging on the wall, and the shot of Kendall has this fork like direct just sticking at him you know like he's done yeah yeah and like i said maybe that's too cute but you know i i do think that they're pretty intentional in this show and it's um you know they have the the family has it hanging on the walls and their cute little 
kitchen with the backsplash, cappuccino. And they were so nice. Well, the uncle. We only met the uncle. We didn't meet the parents. Yeah. Um, Yeah, just like such. I mean, it seems like a short meeting. Yeah, it does. It's very short. But it feels longer with Ken kind of like lingering in this that kitchen, looking around. Oh, it's a Um, lifetime for him in there. I'm sure, you know, what's going through him. Yeah, Um, and Logan knows that it must be excruciating. I mean, it's just a devastating reminder for Ken that he's not going to be able to extricate himself from this. And if anything, Logan is going to continue to remind him of what he did and that he cannot do anything about it. Yeah, and another good instance of the show, you know, using this idea of spaces that you can't enter spaces that Ken's trapped, you know, locked out of, as we saw in the finale, the last shot of season one was, you know, Ken leaving the room and his father alone in this sort of chamber where, you know, decisions happen and where the power over his life resides. And that's, in a a similar sense, the room that he's kept out of here where there's a possibility for atonement, for forgiveness, for relief from his guilt, and he's uh, locked out of even that opportunity. And then that car Uh, ride on the way back when... Logan also says, like, oh, poor bastards. I don't know how they cope. And then he goes yeah, into they, this really self-satisfied... This weird rant about, yeah. like, yeah, they're, they're nice folk, you know, or he's like, he feels like he's he has a real connection with the people that, you know, that he makes his programs for, right? He, ta- right. he goes into this thing, like, oh, there's nothing wrong with that we do, you know? We give him, you know... We give News him... without people without being condescended to yeah exactly yeah. which as he's being you know the most condescending <laughs> right. you could imagine um talking about how these people are just like yeah good good salt of the earth people whose child we killed i also think that in that true. scene like a little earlier in the car like maybe it's not intentional but as he's talking about like the the kid that died that was manslaughtered uh, in that scene a little earlier on in the car when, when Logan is kind of just giving a monologue to um, Kendall. I don't know if this was intentional from Logan, but, you know, he's, like, talking about the kid and who died and how he's manslaughtered and how he's a druggie. Yeah, fuck knows how right, they cope. Right. They're, they're embarrassed, really. They knew he was a druggie. Yeah, that is life. Don't forget it, right? Like, I almost feel like he's speaking to Kendall and, like... Yep. Oh, straight up. Yeah, That's, like, absolutely. a further catalyst to, like, fucking self... The self-loathing that Jeremy... Or, <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy is going through it, I feel. We know but he th- feels it, too. <laughs> yeah, but, but that Kendall, like... Holy shit, man! You are laying it on thick. These guys right, to say that he sadist. was a druggie, so they shouldn't have been surprised. Right, yeah. and and don't forget it. Right, yeah. You know, it's, that was very cruel. Yeah, casually. Yeah, cruel. as we learn, both the parents love to inflict pain on these kids, and it's uh, yes. really heartbreaking to watch. Yeah, yeah, I mean that that next se- the next scene with the other parent with the mother where Kendall is like really i mean it's built up he's been to the house he didn't get any relief from that if anything it made it worse and he's like really ready to spill it out and the mother is just like nah i I gotta go to bed i don't have time for this yeah it's just like so so painful so i mean it and then she says oh we can talk about in the morning and in the morning leaves a note that says she's off to do something else uh kendall reads it to roman and roman's like laughing about it but you can tell kendall is just like totally just like yeah at I mean, that point accept, accepted experience before accepted that the mother is awful yeah, yeah yeah you can definitely tell that they've probably and, dealt with that aspect the entire their entire yeah. lives and kendall does make this trip back 
to the house in the rain, sort of recalling the night of mm-hmm. the incident. And he just, like, throws a bunch of euros. Shows a bunch of money, yeah, through the hole. (laughs) The only way that he can, like, even come close since he wasn't able to talk. And obviously he's not going to, like, turn himself in. But that's, like, the closest he could come after spending the evening at the pub. Yeah. So before we get into Lady Caroline a little bit more, (laughs) we should mention that Shiv shows up in London. We should also mention that Roman... Um, while he doesn't have that much going on in this episode, he is having Jerry do um, some oppo research on him in, oh, the, right. in the case that the two of them were to ever fulfill the uh, rock star and the mole woman prophecy. They're on the phone and Jerry's like, I just need you to answer a few questions. Yes or no. Did your personal trainer jerk you off at the end of sessions? And Roman's like, mm. no. <laughs> uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, because we had so many theories about that um, when talking about Roman's psychosexuality, um, and that was pretty early in season one. To see that come back around was pretty funny. And what's great about Jerry doing oppo research on him is, like, totally, essentially indulging his kink. Like, I'm going to look into everything <laughs> bad on you. And he, he, he even responds to her... I'd say that sounds like fun at the beginning. <laughs> so I about love a face it. Tattoo, which was weird. Oh! Yeah. What would he have had a face tattoo removed? Wouldn't somebody yeah, know that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was about him. Like maybe he gave someone else. <laughs> a face tattoo. Oh my god. I don't know. Who knows? But there's there's this cute kind of scene when um, Shiv and Roman have been sent to go see Caroline to to court her. Um, for the shareholder votes, and they stop at this, like, uh, English um, gas station looking for snacks. And um, it's just a cute little brother-sister moment. The two of them have their charming moments together, and this episode, for me, more than anything else, was just sort of a way to reflect on their childhoods. I know that I do that in every episode, but it seemed like it was laid on a little bit more thick here. Um, and, and ripe for that opportunity. But that was sort of a, a sweet little moment before they get to their mom's house. Yeah, good moment where Roman's just, like, picking up things on the shelves and going, like, this is all for display, right? None of this is edible. Because <laughs> it's, like, wartime, Yeah, right? <laughs> and I imagine it's, like, that's their reaction anytime they have to go to the grocery store. Um, but also that is how I feel looking at English food for yeah. the most part. So. Pretty. And Shiv's like, I'll just get a banana. Yeah. Can't get food poisoning from a banana. Well, well. <laughs> And then they go home to uh, to mom and pigeon. have to eat pigeon. Freshly shot pigeon. <laughs> it may still be shot inside it, so, you know, be careful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't, don't, don't chip a tooth. What I love is the first glimpse we see of, like, what an egomaniac Caroline is. I mean, we've seen that pr- in the previous season, but she's like, I didn't think anyone would be terribly hungry. I know I'm not. Like, Yeah. She doesn't give yeah. a fuck about them. Like... Even just her response to Shiv asking, how are you? She's like, well, if we're going to get into all that. Yeah, strong. She's like, Livia Livia Soprano times 10. Oh, my God. No, I was getting getting way stronger Emily Gilmore vibes. Although Emily Gilmore has some redeeming qualities. But, yeah, she's she's totally passive-aggressive. She's a sadist. She's loves to also, she's got so much resentment going on between, among, 
Logan, but also the kids on, you know, never taking mommy's side. Um, right. You can you know, really get a glimpse of how contentious and painful that divorce was, how much trauma was incurred from it, because there's no way that that was a peaceful divorce. Um, Caroline and Logan probably went at each other hard. When there's um, boatloads of money involved, it can be, you know, even more complex and heavy on the kids. It's clear that each parent probably used the kids as pawns in their sort of internecine fighting um, divorce warfare. And, you know, we see that in the way that Caroline still brings up resentments and, um, you know, makes little quips about Logan and, um, you know, the whole idea of, you know, the kids not spending Christmases with her, um, but the kids remember it differently as them, her not asking them. Um, I think it, it's dredging up a lot for the kids, and it's just a further glimpse into sort of how they developed into the people that they are and the impact that the divorce still has on them as their parents um, are, you know, still linked by virtue of the business and still, um, you know, take these incredible jabs at each other and try and guilt trip the kids, which is something that happens um, in contentious divorces that is incredibly harmful for children. So you can only imagine what it was like for them um, when they were kids, which I imagine that they probably... I mean, Caroline makes a reference to saying um, Shiv stands up for her for the first time in, like, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that the divorce happened. Um, if we can assume Shiv is around 35, it probably happened when the kids were, you know, young teens, mid-teens. Well, I think she references um, Shiv declining a Christmas invitation when she was, when she was 18. Eight, when she was 18. So. But I think the divorce happened before then. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, the choice that Caroline, you know, essentially makes Logan choose between, I mean, just shows, like, how much pain she wants to inflict. Because, you know, in the choices that either the Summer Palace, which is worth, like, $150 million, I think, or $20 million. (laughs) Right, right. Or $20 million plus Christmas every year. Which I don't think she genuinely wants the kids for Christmas. I mean, like this is I don't just think she cares. Again, yeah, no. yeah, and and it's a and way so to like such, say fuck it, you to Logan. Well, but it's also she a way. Feels bitter. Well, it's yeah, and it also is a way to make the kids understand just how little Logan values them because he right. has to make that choice, and she knows that he's going to choose the no Christmas, but like. You know, just rubbing that in the kids' faces. Again, she's a sadist. You know, like, Logan doesn't even want, you know, he'd much rather have the Hamptons house than, you know, spending the time with you. I mean, she's, I just really, I didn't really get it in the first watch, but in the the subsequent rewatches, I really came away thinking that, you know, she's absolutely as worse as bad as Logan and, you know, loves to torture the kids. Just so brutal. Um, you know, it's, 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 yeah, just the, just the blame of each other constantly. Um, and putting the kids in the middle of that. I mean, it creates incredible anxieties, incredible difficulties with intimacy. So compound that with the fact that, um, you know, 
they have broken brains and their parents are <laughs> horrible people. Yeah, I mean, if, if you take this episode as the counterpart to season one, episode seven, Austerlitz, um, and how that episode was all about confrontation and the idea of confronting Logan and confronting their issues and the idea that true confrontation was something that the family couldn't handle, even though it was necessary. This episode is all about how Caroline's approach is the opposite of that, um, which is not a false confrontation, but no confrontation, minimizing deflection, not addressing what needs to be addressed. Um, You know, completely freezing Ken out at his moment of need. And that's what we see reflected in that scene with Shiv and Tom at the beginning where she has that, like Caroline, she has that moment of recognition that somebody's in real emotional need and then brushes it off because she, it's, it's, she doesn't want to deal with it. It's too difficult right. or it's too inconvenient. And that's the dynamic of Shiv and Tom's entire relationship. And I think this episode really crystallized for me that of all the kids, Shiv is really the one-to-one composite of each of her parents. Um, she has sort of the um, sense of confidence and... Um, you know, perhaps a false sense of confidence and, and power um, that Logan craves and that Logan has. Um, but she, when she gets close to somebody um, who might actually need her, um, she, she bolts because her entire life has been, you know, the people that her world have been, has been, shaped around her parents and particularly dad. I mean, she even says it in this episode, what is dad thinking is my entire fucking universe. Um, it's very hard for people like that to, um, you know, to be able to really sort of put their guard down. And in a sense, you know, keeping Tom at arm's length is a way to not get hurt by the way that she was hurt by her parents. Yeah, absolutely. I also like the uh, just sense of just reverting to childhood roles in this episode. I, I, I notice especially in Kieran Culkin's performance the way that Roman seems much calmer around his mother. Um, he seems like he's maybe not performing the way he does for Logan, trying to make this show of aggression and dominance um, mm-hmm. to impress his father. Um, you know, he's, the camera emphasizes the way he's padding around in bare feet at their mother's house in the morning. Um, you know, so he wraps her up in a hug as soon as he gets there. So, yeah. you know, as much as there's a withholding there, Roman obviously does feel like, you know, he's the youngest, he's the baby. He feels that kind of attachment to his mother. Um, and he does feel, like, more comfortable there. Yeah, if I had to speculate, I would say that, you know, whenever there was their, the custody battle for the kids, I would imagine Roman probably would have wanted to stay with Mom um, while Shiv... And most likely Kendall would want to stay with dad. Um, I think that it's pretty clear Roman feels a little more comfortable around mom. We saw that too in the last two episodes of season one. Um, You know, she seems to sort of take on the stereotypical um, role of, you know, mother to the youngest child with him. They have that dynamic. She calls him Roro in this episode, and she did in season one as well. Um, So, you know, there's a little bit of a closeness there that we don't see with um, Shiv and Ken, but I think it's also because Shiv and Ken are asking for things emotionally, whereas Roman is not. Roman just kind of wants to be, um, you know, wrapped in a fuzzy blanket and not yelled at. I mean, that's what his child self wants. Currently, you know, the situation is different. 
Um, but yeah, that's how I, I interpreted sort of what the custody situation must have looked like with the divorce. Um, it's just a guess, but you know, they obviously did end up with their dad, which is sort of unusual. Um, and that's clearly something that Caroline will never be able to let go of. So we want to move on to, um, the kind of closing scenes with Shiv and we haven't talked about the lunch between Shiv and Rhea, which is a really interesting scene. Um, the thing that really shocked me was that I, I, they do this in the scene with, um, Logan and Rhea at night, um, where he, uh, propositions her, uh, but that lunch scene features a completely locked down camera, which is a, rather a new thing for the show. I don't think that we've seen it used so much, um, before this episode, um, where... No, and it's really, it's really jarring yeah. when it, when you first noticed it, it's like, well, well, well why is, it's, like, it's, why are we sitting still? It's literally completely <laughs> static, like, you're not, there's no slow zoom, there's no pan or anything, it's not only is it locked down, but it's the shot is completely the frame is completely static. Um, so that's so that's very jarring. Um, honestly, on the weekend that Adam McKay was nominated for an Emmy, it's Adam McKay erasure. It's disrespectful. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's but it's interesting for that scene because the scene uh, sets up um, Shiv and Rain in a really interesting way. If you notice the opening shots of that scene of that scene, they do a standard shot reverse shot setup. And the way Rhea is framed, she looks so tiny. They make her look so small in the frame. They leave all this headroom there, um, really emphasizing, you know, kind of how diminutive Holly Hunter is. Um, but then as they start getting into it, all of a sudden it cuts to a much tighter um, uh, medium shot of Rhea where uh, she, she's really filling the frame and her presence is more strongly felt. Um, I'm not sure how that the dynamic of that scene felt to you all. Basically, Rhea is kind of uh, slyly uh, letting Shiv know that there may be something between uh, her and her father, and also suggesting uh, that Shiv let her put out the word that she's being considered for Rhea's replacement as Pierce CEO um, to uh, rile her father up and let him put some pressure on him to name her because she's got options. Um, may not be a real option, but something that can Rhea, that Rhea can put out there. Um, so this is again a scene where we see how enigmatic Rhea's intentions are, and it's hard to get a read on exactly what she's doing here because she seems to, uh, she really seems to lull Shiv into a false sense of security by, you know, mm-hmm. saying like, you know, like, oh, you know, I just, I just want us to be friends, you know, while I'm fucking your dad and all this stuff, and uh, then you know makes that offer, which is a complete trap. Um, that Logan uses later to uh, to admonish her for. Yeah, and in the last episode, we, in our Jesse's, we also had a Rhea Shiv scene that had a different dynamic, um, you know, with a little tit for tat, as, as we mentioned, and then some maybe, like, growing mutual respect, or as it seemed. But, um, yeah, I think that... Uh, you know, this time Rhea really throws on the charm and plays up to Shiv's ego. Um, and, you know, Shiv falls for it. She's not as smart as she thinks she is, as, as Rhea uh, initially assessed. Um, you know, she's able to, able to say just like, I feel like we have a connection and I like you. And it just so happens that you're very smart and talented. And, you know, right. Shiv <laughs> is just like, oh, uh, you know, fanning herself. I mean, that's all she wants to hear. So, yeah, um, yeah it, it's really interesting to see how. And I mean, for shit to fall for it. Yeah. Yeah. So Hilarious. easily. I, <laughs> like, Pathetic. what makes, like, 
what makes Shiv think that after being fired, that Rhea's in, like, really good standing with Nan and the Pierces. It's just, there's so much to be suspicious of. Yeah, this is, that's why I was kind of doubtful of the idea that there was mutual respect in that scene between Shiv and Rhea. I think that Rhea recognizes Shiv as a threat for whatever her ultimate intentions are. Um, in respect to that, but I think she also is very cognizant of what Shiv's limitations are. There's not much that she's seen that indicates that Shiv really has her bearings as a player in this arena. You know, she's been successful elsewhere, um, and Rhea knows her reputationally, but everything that Rhea has witnessed does not really indicate Shiv as somebody uh, to be feared. Yeah, you're, you're right. So. She's having a real rough season. Real rough go of it. Shiv. Oh my god. Fail, taking the fail yeah. kid title. The fail kid throne. Really, truly. So thirsty. And I'm, I'm, and I'm trying to discern, um, you know, what kind of the shape of this arc is for Shiv. Because, you know, to me this is still kind of echoing what happened last season where she was kind of losing the control she thought where the destabilizing force was Marsha. And an interesting parallel here now it's Rhea. Um, but it's, 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 it's a sort of an interesting, it's, it's, it's similar in, in many ways, the idea that she's, uh, losing control in her life and doesn't have the status that she thought she did, uh, where she's, there's a promise made to her at the beginning of the season, and then it's just a, a, a long kind of humbling that's been playing out. So I don't know really what the resolution to this is or what Shiv does that, uh, is able to regain some ground or regain some respect in the eyes of her father. Or some status for herself because obviously I think the next step in the game is that this she's got to unite the siblings to take down Rhea because I think as I mentioned in the last episode Rhea could be a very neat solution to Logan's problems in terms of naming a successor he could name somebody that he has more leverage over because she's not in the family um, and she'd be able to uh, solve the issue of his uh, uh, his sniping children for him it's definitely going to be all-out war against Rhea. How well the kids can band together against her is going to be an interesting, interesting question. Uh, we'll see, though. I, I really can't wait. Let's get it going. <laughs> well, there's also the final scene between uh, uh, Shiv and Logan, uh, which is the first time I think they've really gotten some solo time in a while. Logan definitely evades the topic of whether or not he's or or actually I think he implies um, that he hasn't read the memo even though Roman told Shiv that they all you know read it together Rhea, Logan, Kendall and Roman um, and picked it apart uh, but he says he has the inbox of Argentina the size of Argentina um, right. but uh, you know what I found really interesting was you know her asking is it still me you know, because and maybe I'm off base here, but I it seems pretty clear to me that I would have gotten the sense that it isn't still me. Um, yeah. I yeah, mean, she's totally she's she latched onto the idea and she really hasn't let go and she's gonna have a hard time letting go because she thought you know with the dinner with the Pierces she she thought she fucked up, but then. She thought, oh, may well, the Pierces will kind of like that idea, so it kind of shifted for her. But now she's totally, totally on the outs. Like there's no coming back for her. Yeah, I mean, this entire dynamic and scene reminded me of something in conditioning and motivation psychology called intermittent reinforcement, which is exactly what Logan does to 
keep his kids under his reign. And it's pretty much the most like manipulative and powerful kind of motivator that somebody can inflict on somebody else. And Logan does it pretty deliberately. And the whole idea is that you have sort of these cycles where the person um, doling out the conditioning is um, showering the recipient with love and praise and whatever they need to hear and then very quickly pulling it away. Um, It becomes sort of similar to a cycle of like an abusive interpersonal um, relationship, but it is arguably more harmful in terms of childhood trauma than just having a parent who's flat out horrible and doesn't give a shit about you and never gives you the time of day. And I think particularly with Shiv and Logan, maybe less so with the boys. I think with the boys, he's been more outright cruel. But with Shiv, he's tended to put her on a pedestal a little bit. You know, she plays the daddy's girl role. Um, And so I think for her, this dynamic has consistently played out throughout her life where Logan gives her attention, he gives her validation, then he pulls it away. Um, And this can sort of um, create the symptoms that, you know, we see very frequently with Shiv, which is her, um, anxiety and her, um, you know, very difficult time with sort of titrating her ability to be, or her, her desire to be close to people. Um, clearly in this scene, she is desperate. She's sad. She looks like she's on the verge of tears and she brings up that line, you know, when you told me it was going to be me, like, it really felt real. Um, and I think for, for Shiv, this is a re-traumatization. And this continued back and forth with each episode, not knowing where what her station is, um, you know, has to sort of be um, stoking some of, you know, her worst, her absolute worst fears about her dad um, and her dad's ability to love her and validate her. Yeah, and her worst fears about herself, like that she's right. unlovable, and exactly, you you know, I think that's you know really key as well. Logan's able to use the weapon that Rhea uh, gifted him in terms of her turning or being open to a job with Pierce as CEO, and he has this great little speech. I wonder if anyone here can do any Brian Cox imitations. No, I wouldn't try. I'll I'll pass on that one. Damn it. Okay, well, it's good, but... I can do a rock impersonation. (laughs) Or Russell Brand, who's also on Ballers. I can do those, too. Russell Brand as Logan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, he has that bit about, you know, we're a family, Siobhan. We can have our bumps, but I don't expect that, you know, that meaning... Uh, the, the, the the Pierce job, the betrayal that he's implying. You know, he says, if you don't understand family, then fuck off. Um, and, yeah, the implication there that family is something that she has to respect, but he doesn't, basically. Some invisible line that she can be accused of crossing, and the idea that there's just, there's no way out for her, basically. Um, right, and she's trying to yeah. negotiate her way back in she says like oh i know you haven't always liked my words which i thought was interesting um you know given the speech at our justies and her work with gill and um the outburst at turnhaven but she sort of presents it as something that can be resolved whereas for logan this is the dynamic for life either you take it or you know you don't get any of me 
in in the great irony, Brendan, like as you mentioned, like the it's in the family, you know, which only applies to the kids, not to Logan. Is in the next very next scene, uh, on the plane, he tells Rhea, "Well, maybe we should look for a CEO outside the family." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought, you know, just putting those scenes next to one another was. Um, yeah, you know. and they make the Oedipus joke about uh, <laughs> Roman going like, "Yeah, I, f- I fucked mom good for you," and they're like, "Yeah, you should go pluck your eyes out now." Um, but it's but it's sort of a bait and switch. They think they're going to fuck their mom, but they actually are getting a new mom uh, in Rhea. So, and there was a, there was another good mythological reference um, that uh, uh, my friend Joel Joel Gordon on Twitter teased out this week, which which I think was really spot on. He was talking about the Argestes reference. Uh, last week, which was the name of one of the the winds in Greek mythology, and um, he was saying that this this season seems to be built around the the myth of Agamemnon, who sacrificed his daughter Iphigenia for a for a wind um, to leave port. Um, so I, I wonder if that's if we're if we're building towards something there, towards this not being the last humiliation for Shiv, but there being something worse to come. Oh yeah. Well, there's so many things that have happened that could come back, like the biography. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, plots that are just kind of uh, waiting to bubble up, and the I think the show does a really good job of dealing with them. So I'm just really, you can't really. It's hard to predict what each episode is even going to be. You know? Right. Yeah. Check off. Really done. kept us on our toes. Yeah, and I think from we haven't. I don't know if we talked about this on the show yet, but they've they've released plot details basically for the next two episodes, but not for the finale. And from what we know about the finale and where it was shot, um, it seems to be a big swerve. I don't know how they get there. I have some theories, but it, it seems like it's it's coming out of left field. Um, so there's there's some more twists and turns to come for sure. Yeah, this this episode, like we said, it was quiet. I I expect a uh, full throated uh, tour de force next one. Yeah, they're they're in Dundee for a big celebration of Logan's fifty years in business, and yeah, I'm expecting some bore on the floor shit, some uh, <laughs> some some celebration vibes, um, some more Chappaquiddicks. A couple, we're gonna have a, ch- a couple of Chappaquiddicks next week, and. Uh, yeah. I love the murders, the manslaughters. Can't wait. I don't, know if, I don't know if I'm going to get to watch live this week. I'll be so heartbroken. Uh, I've watched every uh, episode well, live so far. Yeah, I sighed and then realized, wait. <laughs> I didn't watch every episode live this season. Yeah. Unfortunately. And just um, big congratulations to Jesse Armstrong on his outstanding writing for drama series emmy win this weekend um i was king screaming king shit <laughs> goaded absolutely goaded yeah so congratulations uh, to him and the whole about... writing team um susan stanton is another person who does a lot of writing on the show she's an ep now actually yeah oh is she yeah so shout out to her too um and hell yeah jesse Everybody was talking trash about uh, Jeremy's fit. Jeremy, if you're listening, you look great, King. Uh, can't say anything about bad about you. I saw someone say that's what a true thespian dress, dresses like. Absolutely. <laughs> when I saw the picture, that's exactly where my mind went. This guy is a capital A actor. 
Exactly. He wanted to remind everyone of that for not being yeah. nominated. Right. The, the other great uh, Succession Emmys viral moment was everybody tweeting the uh, picture of the, the cast standing applauding yeah. Jesse. And everybody going like, "Oh, we're all cousin Greg." Or like, or like Nicholas Braun is truly cousin Greg in real yeah. life. He waved. Him, I was like, "He's just, he's just tall and smiling. No, he's not doing." Yeah. He waved in a video. He literally waved at Jesse. <laughs> That's what that people do in that, that situation. <laughs> I think I retweeted that and then was thinking about it and like, what? (laughs) Yeah, this is like pretty mundane, guys. Well, you know how people are with their their Gregs and their Jerrys and their projections. Oh, yeah. People love doing (laughs) that. Love it. I don't do that at all with Kendall. Like, at all. (laughs) It just brought back to like the the Zapruder film of Emmy Clips, which was, was Christina Hendricks uh, mad at John Hamm when he won his Best Actor Emmy? Or did the camera just catch her in a bad moment? <laughs> it's like there's a pruder Okay, film. and since we're going here, a little bit fun stuff. We can cut this if you want. I know it's ridiculous, but I did take the BuzzFeed quiz. Um, I also took I, a yeah. Cosmopolitan <laughs> quiz. But can you guys guess which character I am? Kendall. On... Yeah, no, you're Greg. <laughs> Roman. <laughs> No, it's Kendall. I'm, I'm Kendall. I was going to say Kendall, but I thought you were trying to like, can you yeah, guys guess what I got? Seem, yeah. Nope. Nope. I was, I was going to post and I'm like, man, I look like such a nerd, but I no. am. So I got, I got Willa. Oh, <laughs> I'm a great. good girl. <laughs> I love Willa. <laughs> I know. I miss her a little bit. I know. Come back. Yeah. Willa. And tabs. I think we're going to get some Willa. Yeah. And Stewie. Yeah. I took the quiz and I'm the guy who killed himself in uh, a couple episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> the ATN producer shot himself at his death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took I took the quiz and I'm the human footstool. Um. Well, so, so yeah, I saw Reddit tie those two together and they were like, "Do you think the." Human footstool was the guy that killed themselves. Oh my god! I had that thought, but I, but I doubt it. I think oh it, it makes sense, but I, I, no, I, it's, I it's very it. possible. That guy, that guy had a, that guy had a fret vibe to him. I'm sure he's used to hazing. He's, he's he was got, pretty Jonah. He's got to stick it out. If I was made human footstool, I'd feel pretty good afterwards because you know that's what the kind of uh, stuff you have to endure to move up in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, I took the BuzzFeed quiz and I got Cousin Greg, which I was furious oh about. Oh my god, you must have been sleeping. Oh. Uh, not, not accurate. I'm a Tom. I am a, I'm a, absolutely a Tom. Just take it till you keep... Yeah, get Tom. Whatever. I'll go to get... the cool 30 under 30 party. I'm still young. It's true. The Cosmo one sucked. You had to, like, count up yourself. And oh, I was, bullshit. like, two people. It was Kendall and, I think, Jerry? I don't know, but it was... Anyway. <laughs> Horrible combination. Yeah, we, oh, knew, we f- knew it was coming. Though. I forgot to mention, uh, just uh, <laughs> as in the way of closing thoughts, a, a great bit of uh, physical acting I liked was uh, at the in the early scene in Logan's apartment when he says to Jerry that it's going to be an all-nighter. She like rolls her eyes and takes off her shoes, um, <laughs> which I liked. Yeah, yeah she's done it before. That too. Dan. Where should we find you? What uh, what do you do again? Ballers? Sure, yeah. Uh, I, I produce audio for people, so if you think it sounds like trash, don't worry. It's not my fault. Uh, 
I run a website, www.banglocaldads.com. If you're interested in that, it's not what it sounds like. Uh, there's videos, there's music. We just put out an album by Stupid Neil, Bad Things Have to Happen. Go watch his uh, single video for that, Matters. Great little album, it's 20 minutes long, real quick and easy. Wonderful stuff. Uh, we have live shows coming up. Uh, which you can find all on the website. The podcast is Haters in the Building, and I repeat, do not go listen to it. You will only be disappointed. It, it is the most scatterbrained. I mean, the show is bad, so it's it's hard to really uh, gather the, the strength to really push through a, a professional podcast about it. It really captures uh, this the week, feeling of your brain leaking out of your ears as you watch Ballers. Yes, absolutely. That is the best uh, description of the podcast. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very excited to finish it and be done with it. Uh, except, but I say that, but we will. We covered pilots last year on all the major networks, the ABCs, the CBSs, the, the NBCs, all their pilots. We, wa- we like to watch all the pilots. I've done this forever. Uh, we, we potted about it. I'm excited to see The Unicorn, which has two uh, of the ballers in it. Uh, <laughs> The guy who plays Charles Green and Rob Cordy uh, are both on that, as long, along with uh, Walter Goggins. Or Walt. <laughs> I, I, Please, yeah, Walter I, Goggins is my father. <laughs> yeah, I purposely mispronounce or misread people's names all the time, and I, I, now I do it in real life, which is bad. Uh, but yes, Walton Goggins. They're on The Unicorn, uh, I think, on CBS, which uh, is a show about Walton Goggins uh, getting laid after his wife dies. So. We'll be eagerly checking in on that. Oh. Other than that, uh, I, one more plug. Uh, you have to go listen to the good podcast that we produce, www.banglecaldads.com. The podcast, there are five episodes of that. It's not a talking podcast, per se. It's more of an audio collage. Uh, and that's actually the thing that we're really proud of over there. So go, go listen to that. That's fun. Busy man. Yeah. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to hang up so Dan can edit this podcast and we can upload it so everybody can listen to it on their on their Friday. Lord willing and the, and the crick don't rise. We're going to edit out uh, about 30 minutes of Baller's discussion um, <laughs> and about as much uh, of Tommy barking. Um, <laughs> Little bastard. All right, guys. I, I actually have to jet to work. Okay, so thank you so thank much, Thank you, guys. Man. Yeah, yeah thank man. you, guys. And... Uh, thanks for having me and thanks for doing the pod and uh, I hope everybody who's listening uh, had a good time (laughs) alright folks this has been the Roycast we'll be here for you next week cheers go 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 now out of the nest it's time go 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 now silky scale without a safety net cry you raised your hand for the assignment tuck those ribbons under your helmet be a good soldier first my left foot then my right behind the other pantyhose running in the Mother, the car is here. Somebody leave the light on. Green limousine for the redhead dancing, dancing girl.